Welcome to the Hermit's Lamp podcast. That musical intro was made by my daughter, Claire. Uh, I appreciate deeply that her arrhythmic sense of tunes matches so deeply my own, even though we don't actually talk about the music and how she's going to make it. I simply gave her a free license to make something that she thought would be interesting to play at the opening of the podcast. Speaking of the podcast, I really would like to thank everybody who supports the Patreon. It makes transcriptions possible. It makes the fact that I'm going to be acquiring some new recording hardware in the next month possible. And it also facilitates me continuing to prioritize this project because as you might imagine, I have a lot of on the go. It allows me to continue to prioritize what amounts to basically a whole workday of my month set aside for this project. If you have been enjoying this podcast and all 92 episodes before this one, if you think accessibility is important as I do, then you can support the transcription process as well as continue to support me in providing this podcast to the world. Jump on over to patreon.com slash the hermit's lamp. Every little bit helps. Welcome to the Hermit's Lamp Podcasts and another episode with Stacking Skulls. I'm here today with Aiden and Fabeku, and joining us is Teresa Reed. So, you know, everybody probably knows who we are, but Teresa, for those who don't know who you are, who are you? What's going on? What are you about? Hey guys, for those of you who are not familiar with me, my name is Teresa Reed, but I'm better known as the Tarot Lady. I am a professional tarot reader, and I've been working in my industry for close to 30 years. And that's me in a nutshell. Awesome. So last, last episode dropped about three months or so ago. Um, what's new? What's going on? What's changed? Mm -hmm. uh, I actually reopened the shop <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> after many months off, and that's uh, going very well. Uh, under the under the new model seems to be working well so uh -huh. that's pretty much it for me it's been winter not a lot goes on except you know cold right and a lot of snow apparently this winter we did get the blizzard uh which thankfully all of our neighbors tell us happens every seven to 15 years because otherwise our 500 foot long dirt driveway would have been perhaps not the choice we would have made but uh, <laughs> we were only trapped for right? like two weeks <laughs> yeah fair well so you don't you don't need to like get your kettlebells out for that then right you just shovel snow every day and i really don't do that so that's that's why we were trapped for two weeks we saw it coming and went shopping <laughs> yeah. and stocked up the house and said fuck it we'll leave when we're done when it's yeah. done <laughs> excellent <laughs> nice <laughs> that's awesome well how about you Fabeku? what's uh what's new in your world <clears throat> yeah what's new um doing a few classes finally wrapped the a super long divination course that I've been doing since the summer. <clears throat> uh, doing a thing now on some hyper sigil stuff, which has been fun and kind of intense. Uh, managed to survive the holidays. Thank God. That was, that was great. Uh, yeah, writing like crazy. Just writing like crazy. For some reason, uh, I'm not sleeping a lot, which is fantastic. And so I'm um, taking, taking advantage of the, the long evenings and 
churning out piles and piles of words for a few book projects. So it's fun. Cool. Very exciting. And how about you, Teresa? What's, uh, what's, what's the start of your year brought? What's going on for you these days? Uh, just busy with work, but also uh, I have two books coming out this year. And actually today I just got the PDF version. And so they want me to go over everything and um, check everything and double check it and make sure every I is dotted and T is crossed. Mm-hmm. And recently I saw the cover of my third book, which is coming out in November. So I'm in the phase right now of handling all my regular work. And also with these two new books coming out, um, starting to do all the proofreading to make sure things are right. Mm, a lot. Yeah, it's yeah, exciting. It's a lot of work, right? Oh my God. But I like the editing part better than the writing part. Really? Hmm. Yes. Isn't oh, that wow. sad? Okay. Well, no, it's, just, it's fascinating though. I think it's, yeah. wow. I love to rewrite and I like to spill out all my ideas, but I think it's because I have those three planets in Virgo. Going back and editing gives me a real special jolly. Wow. Mm. That's cool. I kind of got that with six ways that I, yeah. I had a blast going kind of taking in all the information that I got from the various first readers and my folks to kind of dive in and tighten it up. It was just, that was a, a pleasure. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't dig the editing at yeah, all. Me neither. I, I, <laughs> like, <laughs> totally. <I'm> a, hated. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's interesting. You know, when I, when I did, when I, I wrote the book for the Harisha Tarot, I sat down and just, I wrote the book just straight through, right? Like just plowed it all out and whatever. And uh, because because there was some changes around the timeline and I had to deliver it a little bit earlier, I was like, all right, I'm just sending it. I'm not even going to reread it. I'm just going to send it to you this way because, you know, it was already a contract, right? So I didn't, there, it wasn't like I was trying to get the deal. Uh, I already had the deal, but I just didn't have the time to, finish everything all up for their timeline that they had moved it to and uh and still sort of like sit and really re-edit it i'm like does it make sense to re-edit part of it or all of it or you know um so i just sent it in and uh yeah it was mostly like the the thing was please just go through and fix the typos (laughs) i was like sure (laughs) (laughs) and then there were a couple other very brief comments but that the editing was was almost non-existent for oh, us. So. Wow. Yeah, but, they, but they liked it. So, you know, obviously you're a good writer. Yeah. It just kind of, by the time I get to writing something, I've usually thought about it a ton. And then it mostly just kind of emerges pretty intact, you know? And sometimes I need to adjust up or chew on things. Um, some Most of what they wanted me to change or, or edit was, uh, goes back to sort of, the biggest challenge for me around writing historically, which is why write 50 words when 10 words will do. And the, the reality is, is those 10 words do if you know what you, if you know what the subject is, but they don't actually do for everybody else. Yeah. So, uh, so learning to sort of expand everything into sort of a more, um, yeah, a more, a more thorough explanation or, you know, to kind of use a lot more words for it. Uh, you know, that's been thing. And, and, the, and the edits that came back were basically like, you might know what this is and I might know what this is, but there are lots of people who are going to read this who don't, who won't understand. So you need to like add a couple of paragraphs explaining this and this and this and stuff. So, yeah. I think that's always an interesting thing when you're, when you're communicating stuff to people. So my version of that is uh, in this hyper class that I'm doing now, there were things that to me were 
super obvious. And so I essentially said, Hey, do this and do this and go have at it. Right. And then people were like, wait, fuck what, what about this? And what about this? And what does that mean? And can I do this? Should I do that? Should I not do this? And I was literally like, the fuck is happening? Just do it. And then when I realized it was like, Oh, right. Okay. So all of the shit that in my head was super obvious, apparently I need to circle back and kind of spell out in way more yeah. detail than I thought. So it was, it was kind of an inter- interesting experience for everyone involved. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I've, I've this been is climbing why, with... why all the lifer magicians shouldn't probably uh, be the bounce offs <laughs> on whether you're coherent for anybody else, right? I was yeah. like, got it. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Vika comes back around and goes, why is everyone confused? I'm like, uh, oh, because they haven't been doing this for 30 years? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And words have power and, you know, but that power doesn't always transmit to everybody the same way. You know, years ago when I used to teach astrology, um, it all starts out fun. But then you start getting into the math, which, you know, is another interesting, I think math is very magical. And everyone, all the tears came. All the tears right. came. People don't get it. So explaining astrology to laymen is actually, um, it's very artful. It's very hard to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think teaching stuff is, is complicated, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, you know, when a couple of years ago I was in Portland and I taught this this class on uh, calling in the person who's getting the readings guardian angel to feed into the reading process. Right. And, you know, in teaching something like that, there's the words, right. Which is one part of it. You know, it's like, Hey, do this, try this, think about it this way. Um, But then there's also, like you say, how, how is everybody receiving that? What's going on? You know, and, uh, a whole bunch of people came up to me after the the workshop and, and basically said, like, never experienced anything like that before in my life. And, you know, I'm, I've been doing my own practice and whatever. And the secret was in that case that essentially I expanded my energy to encompass everybody in the room. And I was modulating everything that was going on to some degree with everybody there. Right. And like, seeing what felt wonky in the space. So I need to go over and talk to that person, or maybe I just needed to like put a little extra energy there for them. And, you know, there's so many layers to transmitting something, right. That go well beyond, you know, book learning and words and, and, you know, straightforward things like that into another level. Right. So, you know, yeah. we just, we just had this conversation in the, in the hyper space this week or last week or whatever it was. Somebody, somebody was talking about an experience that they have. So I, I call instead of calls, I call them live transmissions. And I do that because for me, that's what they are. It's not, it's not some marketing shtick, but uh, you know, they were talking about experiences they had listening to the transmission. And I said, listen, like this is, I call these transmissions for a reason. Like the fact that the, the delivery of information is actually the smallest reason why we're on the, the phone at the same time doing this. There's a million other ways I could deliver information. I don't really give a shit so much how it happens, but it is that kind of uh, energetic maintenance of the space and creating currents that people wade into. And then you navigate their experience with the current with them while delivering the information. And for me, that's, that's 90% of it. The information, I mean, fuck, I could send out a PDF. I mean, it's, you know, who cares about the, the delivery of information in some ways to me, 
the real key, and I think the thing that, like you said, gives people that experience is that current and being able to create it and kind of lead people skillfully into it and out of it. And, you know, yeah, that's, that's the whole thing for me. Mm -hmm. Do you guys feel when you teach that you're doing it from an altered space? Yes. Yeah, totally. Yes. Yeah. Almost every time. Like as soon as I, I kind of dial in and sit down, like I'll start to sweat. And as it goes on, by the time I'm done, like I feel like I ran a marathon and that's not a thing that I do. Yeah, that's a definite thing. And it's, it's interesting. I got an invite this morning uh, to teach in 2020. And that was one of the really odd things was uh, remembering live teaching because I haven't done that since the 90s. Um, and that's a really strange concept to, to kind of think about revisiting after 25 years. It's like, okay, let's wander into a conference space and do my thing. Because to me, it's always a super altered state. It's not subtle. Um, and that's a, it's a very, it is an odd thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and for me, it's the same during readings as well, you know. It's the reason I don't dig uh, asynchronous reading processes, email readings or whatever that much, is, uh, is I find that the energy is harder to manage. Really? And Yeah. It's way easier for me to sit with somebody and just, you know, go anywhere, do anything, whatever needs to happen. But like, you know, to do readings and, uh, you know, I, I've been for a while, I've been offering these channeled readings where I channel one of my guides and stuff. And I'm actually going to stop because channeling without the person being synced in somehow, uh, just, just wears me out. Mm. It's really tiring. Mm. So like a 15 minute session of doing that, like and recording it and sending it to somebody is like 10 times more fatiguing than channeling for an hour with the person sitting here. So see for me, and when it comes to like email readings, um, energy is energy, you mm -hmm. know, and I always like to say I'm an energy reader. So it's the same energy that I'm tapping into. It doesn't matter if the person sitting there and with me, I prefer when I'm doing, I prefer the phone readings because I really feel like we're directly connecting with each other, but the email readings work just as good. The only difference is I think sometimes when people send information via email, they're not completely tuned in, mm -hmm. you know? And so you have to, maybe this is why you feel double the work is you're having to like, you will have to do more work because sometimes, you know, they'll just send a vague question or whatnot. So it's different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe it's so. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's interesting when I think about doing the, you know, like on the six ways Facebook group, the best thing that I did was I decided to start shooting video just because it seemed like it would be an easier way than uh, writing everything. And what I find is that that's the, it's, it's way easier for me to be talking and transmit kind of clearly mm -hmm. is writing. Um, and, you know, like we're doing this on Zoom. And I think if I do, whenever I get around to starting the online classes, I'll do them on Zoom for the same reason. Mm -hmm. It's okay that not everybody will be present, but if I've got a body of people present that I can be kind of directly feeding with, it'll work better. My problem with the typing is my arthritis. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's the biggest problem. Um, you right. know, I, I find it's more like it's labor intensive for my hands it's not the uh, transmission of the energy. You know, when you're just talking and teaching like that, well, you're not using that same physical process as you're doing with your hands. So I think that is, that's where I find it to be harder. Right. I think it, for me, it's just that I can't type very well. 
<laughs> that's fair it's totally fair yeah i'm actually going back to uh uh writing a series of blog posts and stuff oh cool i feel like uh i haven't i haven't like typed much for a long time um and like in in terms of doing that kind of work uh but i feel like uh, for two reasons one uh, because I like to make everything accessible. So I like to get transcriptions of stuff done. Like this podcast will be transcribed. And uh, that's a, it's a time-consuming process that comes with its own expense. And two, I feel like um, I'm planning on getting, getting a book proposal in over the winter and then to sort of slide more into that writing space. And when I'm already in that writing space, then it's easy to like, you know, write for a couple hours, grab a coffee, change gears, and then write something else for an hour for me. So I can kind of just stay in that space. Um, whereas the the recording transmissions and stuff like that, you know, since the separation, the, the divorce that happens in the fall and winter, and with my new schedule with the kids and stuff like that, it's a lot harder for me to find a time that's actually quiet to sit down and record something it's uh it's not it's not nearly as simple as it used to be my schedule used to be a lot more flexible so mm -hmm. now it's like i can sit and write just fine and they can be doing whatever in the house it's, it's not a big deal to me but uh but to record and then have them you know their shenanigans in the background gets a little complicated so yeah for sure. yeah mm -hmm. i guess that's been the big change for me right you know, uh, my relationship of 21 years ended. I think we talked about it some in the, in the fall podcast. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and then mid-December, mid my ex moved out. Uh, and uh, so I've had sort of almost two months now, I guess, or a month and a half of um, settling into what it's like to be, you know, independent half the time and uh, with the kids half the time. And, uh, you know, kind of going through this process of going through, uh, everything that I, everything that I own and reassessing it and seeing what, what do I want to keep? What's important, what's not important. And, uh, you know, kind of extending that further out into, um, like lots of things. I'm kind of reevaluating where I'm putting my time on kind of every front right now and trying to see what, uh, feels like it makes sense to me. Or it doesn't make sense to me, you know? And, uh, yeah, I had a great time watching the, uh, the that tidying, sh tidying up show with Mary Kondo. You know, me and the kids and, and one of my partners watched it. And, uh, you know, it's like that that notion of what's, what's exciting and what's not has continued to kind of fuel a bunch of different decisions in, in different directions. And, you know, I mean, like looking at my work life and thinking about what am I – am I really, really inspired by and what feels either uh, burdensome or, um, or kind of maybe even more to the point the thing that I want from it is not the thing is not a thing that it can give me, you know, there's like a, an incoherence of the agenda, right. You know, and uh, when I'm recognizing those, those shifted agendas um, kind of going and going, well, I'm not going to get that from this. So 
I really, I really ought to reconsider my investment in this. If that's not going to happen, what's the value to me then? You know, or is there a value to me then? You know, so yeah, so it's a lot of uh, a lot of pruning going on, a lot of throwing out of stuff around the space, and you know, and, and sifting back through a bunch of stuff. So yeah, yeah, that's definitely been going on over here too. That was yeah. what led to the change in the shop because uh, that process just clipped a ton of the work that I didn't like around the shop. It's just gone yeah. now. Um, and then that's kind of feeding in like the shop itself has been, which is, as you all know, is a tiny space, um, is way less busy. There's a lot less in here now. Mm. Uh, a lot of, uh, like who are the, who are the helper spirits that are actually helpers and who right. are the hangers on that are sometimes helpful, but not really yeah. not paying the freight. Uh, and let's cut ties there and simplify mm-hmm. everything. Definitely the season for it, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's been the same thing here. I mean, on all fronts, it, the work front, you know, there's been stuff I've been contemplating for six months, nine months, longer, and kind of finally brought some of that together. You know, like this thing I used to dig, I don't dig it as much anymore, so I'm not going to do it. And this thing that I still kind of dig, I'm going to change it so I can dig it more than I do at the moment. Yeah. And, you know, on the personal front, there was a, a long relationship I was in that I was kind of agonizing over longer than I needed to, and end of the year was like, yeah, no, this doesn't make any sense anymore. Like, this, this, like you said that, that I like that language, Andrew, the, the incoherence uh, of agenda. Cause it was like, this is never going to fucking shake out the way I want it to shake out. Like no matter what the fuck I do, it just doesn't make any sense. And you know, at some point it was interesting in thinking about the mundane stuff I could do, the magical stuff. And it's like, why? Like I just, the fuck, it doesn't make any sense. Just, pack it up and move on, you know? And I mean, I don't mean it just in the context of the relationship, but with a lot of things, you know? And um, I think for me, it feels like a, a time where it's really important to kind of reduce, uh, pretty radically reduce the noise to amp the signal even more than it has been. It seems like, I don't know, kind of midway through last year, I started to realize there's not even more noise, but there's just more shit in the field to manage. And I just don't want to do that. I just don't want to yeah. do that. You know, it's yeah. like, let's, let's get the few things that are solid signal and crystal clear and right fucking on and amp the shit out of that. And the rest of it, I'm just not interested in it. I'm, I'm, I'm just not into it at all at this point. Mm-hmm. I've been doing a major decluttering too. So I watched mm. the same tidying up thing. And, you know, we have a real problem with clutter around here. My husband's an artist, first of all, and you know, I know how artists are and you guys know how artists are artists <laughs> artists collect a lot of stuff. And, you know, um, so we have a lot of things and this is a really big house. So it got filled, you know, the more we took over the house, the more he found things to fill. So we went through stuff and we're still going through stuff. And, you know, my big problem is my books issues. I've got like two. You're only about 30, right? Yeah, well, that's not going to happen, guys. <laughs> because, you know, most of the books are stuff that I use. The thing that I have to go through, though, you know, right now, the clothes are done. I'm not a big clothes person. I'm not a big shoe person. I'm not one of those chicks. I have very few shoes. I don't care about shoes. I don't care about, you know, I used to have a lot of purses. I don't care about that. Um, I was hoarding lipstick, which is, this is my new lipstick, guys. It looks fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but also my books and, you know, cooking gadgets. So, slowly little by little we've gone through things and you know the biggest thing we have left to do is the books and and terry right now is upstairs and tearing through the cooking things which is kind of horrifying me because 
he doesn't know exactly what I use to create that magic in the kitchen, but mm -hmm. I'm just like, you know what? I don't have the time to do all this decluttering, go declutter it. But it's also making us a lot more mindful about the reasons behind we keep on holding on to our clutter. And so we've had long discussions about that. And what we've come to the determination is because we both grew up poor, there's that tendency mm -hmm. then to want to hold on to things because it's the fear that you're going to need it or you may not have it again. And so that whole way of growing up, it really does then create that energy where you hold on for dear life and then nothing else can get in that's yeah. worthwhile. So why am mm -hmm. I holding on to this stupid thing, this Hello Kitty um, spatula that's too small to even turn over an egg? Why? It's got to go. Not well, serving I, the purpose. Yeah, and I, I, for me, I get that probably the most with the books, right? Because, you know, in the past, I managed to get my scrape together cash, get a couple books. Then when I was broke as fuck, had to sell the books. And, yeah. and now that I got them again, it's like, I've, I'm never getting rid of these books, which of course isn't, isn't the smartest thing, but it's exactly that thing. Like I remember having to box up, you know, 12 boxes of books to take them to half price books and they give you 10 fucking dollars. You have grocery money, you know? Yep. And it's like, yeah, I'm never doing that again. So for me now, I've, I've got thousands of books, which is, is madness. But yeah, I think there is something to that I think that that, that experience of either not being able to get it or not knowing if you'd be able to get it again, I think for me anyway, it does. It it creates a thing of wanting to hold on to shit way longer than makes sense yep. in some cases, for yeah. sure. I really feel this uh, intense impulse that I want to make things versus own mm. things. Mm. If that makes sense, you know. I mean, yeah, like it, I books have a way of creeping back in. You know, partly because people give me a lot of books because of the store, because I'm friends with them, and they my friends publish books, and that's fantastic, and I love looking at what my friends are doing and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but like, even I'm looking at the, the books that are on the shelf in the reading room here. I don't even know, like other than, a, other than maybe two or three of them, I don't even know the last time I opened any of them, you know, wow. like it's been a long time. Right. And you know, somebody was, some, was having this conversation about tarot books and being a tarot reader and whatever. And I'm like, I don't, I mean, I read my friends' books because they're my friends and they wrote them, but I don't really read books on tarot anymore, mm. you know? Not, not because they're not good, not because maybe I couldn't learn stuff, but, you know, I was, I listened to this podcast called uh, The Moment with this guy, Brian Koppelman, who makes movies. Mm. And uh, there's, uh, there's some really great ones. Um, there's ones with Seth Godin are really interesting. And his one with uh, Simon Rushdie was fascinating. Wow. But one of the things that he talks a bit about is how when he drops into making a project, doesn't want his ideas contaminated with other things. And because I'm sliding more and more into being creative, you know, visually and with words and these things all the time, I don't really, I, I really want to express what I want to express. And, and that brings about this place where I don't really want to bring stuff in because it's easy to get in my head about it. It's easy to think too much. It's easy to be like, oh, well, you know, you know, this person said this thing and what do I need to think about that? Do I need to address it? It's like, it's, it's just, it just slows the process and creates drag in the creative process for me. So I kind of move away from that. And 
you know, most of what I learned about card reading, I learned from, you know, just doing more and more readings all the time, or sometimes hanging out and talking with people about card reading more so than actually sitting and reading books about it and such, yeah. you know? So sometimes I think one I of like, the, Oh, sorry. No, go ahead, Teresa. I would just say, I was real briefly. Sometimes though, I do like looking at what other people write about mm -hmm. tarot because I'll look at it and I'll say, well, that's interesting. You know, I'll probably discard it anyways because I'm very stubborn about my methods. You? But I do like, <laughs> but I do sometimes like just like, you know, looking and saying, well, that's very interesting. It's still not going to change the way I'm doing things because I've been doing th things for so long, but it might at least give me a little different perspective. Okay. Fabanku, sorry about that. No, no, you're fine. I, I think for me, one of the, one of the best things I did in my business, maybe six or eight years ago, I just stopped looking at all the business shit. I didn't, I, I haven't, I haven't read a business book in six or seven years. I haven't read business blogs. I unscribed everything, unsubscribed. And again, it's not that I, it's not that I didn't give a shit really, but I, I kind of didn't give a shit. And it was mostly because of that, that noise thing. You know, it's like, I just, like you said, Andrew, I, I want to transmit my thing. Like I don't want, and it's not, not that there's anything wrong with anybody else's thing. I just don't want their signal mixed in with my signal. And I think the results of that, and the same has been true for me with magic, with divination, with everything it feels like the, the more I reduce that noise, the clearer I can get to my signal and transmit it. And then I think the better that is for everybody that's on the receiving end of it. You know, I think that, um, and people have said, well, you know, do you, miss, do you miss being up to date on what's going on? Not really. I mean, and again, I'm sure there's brilliant stuff out there. It's not, it's not that I, I'm not acting like it's all shit. I just, for me, the, uh, I think it's the, it's the processing power that's required to kind of read it and then still keep it isolated from what I'm doing. It's just too much. I, it just, I don't, I don't want to do it. I just, I just would rather get down to whatever my, my thing is, whatever that means. See, yeah. Fabeka, well, you, you, you need my, my, my way of doing things. I'm just so fucking stubborn. <laughs> it doesn't matter how brilliant it is. I'm still going to do everything exactly the way I'm going to do things. And I've always been that way. And it's ridiculous. But again, I'll get the little information, I'll get the feedback, I'll look at it, and I still do everything exactly the fucking way I'm going to do it. Sounds familiar. You know, I remember, I remember talking to Enrique Enriquez, and, uh, you know, we were discussing like this in one of the podcast episodes that I did with him, I think. And um, we were talking about how we'll be reading something, and we'll just get to a sentence and be like, oh, I seem to think about that for a month now, you know? And so like, there's, there's a reason I haven't finished six ways yet because <laughs> I, I get through to a certain point and then I hit an idea. I'm like, huh, huh. I just put it down and just sit for a while and then just like chew it over for a while, you know, and then maybe it gets misplaced for a little bit after that. And then I find it again. I'm like, Oh yeah, I should really finish that book. And you know, it's when, when you told me that, that, you know, my name was in there somewhere, I was like, I haven't even gotten to that yet. And it's like, you know, kind of halfway through the book or so. Right. And I was like, huh. you know, and I'll, I'll get through it, but it's like, for me, I like to digest things really thoroughly if I'm going to let them in. And, and I think that's part of it too. Right. You know, it's back to that, like my own thinking and, and that kind of stuff and how much of that, not even like willingness for that to be let in, but where there is stuff that's really, thought-provoking i only have so much space for that too you know so. yeah i have uh you know it's it's interesting once you put out your book if i imagine you have all done this i think so you you've had this experience all of a sudden you become like a book guy who's done this thing and so uh 
I get a fair amount of like review copies now, you know, PDFs of books that are due to come out to see if I can write for them. And most of them, I just have to tell them I can't because it's just not, I wouldn't know or want to read your book on Galesha. <laughs> I wouldn't know how to review it if I did, because I have no interest in that kind of spirit interaction. But um, like the, I, I've been really lucky to get two books uh, recently, one from Devin Hunter and one from Matt Oren, um, that are really great. And part of the reason that they work for me is that their approach is really a, a like psychic clairvoyant take on witchcraft. Uh, so it's like witchcraft with the, the kind of traditional psychic components brought way to the forefront, which are not my strong point. So it's one of those things that I can read and go like, oh yeah, I can see how I could grab this practice here and use this to develop something that I don't have, you know? And so they've both been really good for that. But in general, kind of reading within the field gets harder and harder for me uh, as time goes on because I'm so stubborn uh, that it's like... I'm reading and kind of just going, nah, nah, nah. Or I've seen this so many times, you know, it's a, it's an interesting balance. But, uh, and I just say this too, it's not that I, and this sounds terrible, but I don't get my inspiration, you know, from reading tarot books. The inspiration that I get from life comes from way different sources. You know, I'm, I'm more likely not to get inspired by reading your tarot interpretations, but by, you know, maybe listening to a Lil Wayne song. I get my inspiration yep. from very, very different places. So, and I think it's because too, I mean, every day I'm in tarot, I'm like in tarot and in astrology every day of my life. And so I do still like to read the books, but my creative inspiration rarely comes from that. It rarely comes from reading someone's tarot or astrology book. It's going to come from a very, very different source. Cooking is one of my main ways and watching cooking shows and cookbooks. I actually get a lot more inspiration from that. And one of the things I love about cooking, cooking is very magical. You know, I'm very superstitious about food. I won't eat food prepared by somebody I don't like. Um, food has to be prepared with intention. And what I love about the whole process of cooking because in another lifetime I should have been a chef is I love to cook because you're creating and then you destroy it immediately. It's yeah. gone. Boom. It's done. It's, I mean, it was there. You know that the remnants are still there because it's showing up either in your waistline or the indigestion or the pleasure that you're feeling, but it's gone. It's all gone. For I mean, me, food's it, magic. It is magic. It always reminds me, first of all, I agree about the sources of inspiration to me. Art has been a bigger inspiration on my magic than magic stuff has. Cooking has Absolutely. been a bigger inspiration on my business than business shit ever has. The, uh, all of that stuff. And cooking, I remember there was one time I was eating this really fantastic meal at a, a restaurant that did amazing food. It was the place you and I ate at, Teresa. Mm -hmm. And when they, when they brought the food out as I was eating it, I had that moment where it felt like that, you know, when you see the, uh, the, the mandalas that the Buddhists create, right? They spend yes. fucking forever making these things and they're amazing and they're beautiful and you see them and it's this experience of awe and then they're gone you know they just yes. they just wipe them out in a moment and it's like this is what this feels like it, it was and it felt like taking in all of that like you said the the creation of it the attention the detail the care the creativity the magic and then making that a part of you and literally it's gone in, in minutes it's, yeah it, it to me that's the kind of thing that that just wows me every time and it doesn't it doesn't have shit i don't care whether it's an expensive meal it doesn't matter about that at all it's 
it's just that thing of something that's been amazingly created and you know that they spent all day in the kitchen prepping for that and literally in a matter of minutes the plate's empty uh-huh. it's it's yeah. phenomenal that's like true magic i mean when i go to when i go to portland every year there's a restaurant called castagna that i go to they now know me because they know i'm nuts about their roles and they serve weird stuff i mean but it is meticulously prepared um and it comes out and i mean i grew up catholic so when you eat it it's like communion mm. you're taking it into your body the soul of that chef and their creativity and there is nothing more magical than that well i think that that also sinks into another kind of concept that ties into some of fabico and i's experiences recently um because we've both been playing with hyper sigil work um is that that element of like you're doing this for right now and then you're going to do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing Mm -hmm. I think is missing from a lot of people's approach to magical arts that they're like, they're somehow want to use this kind of technology of radical change to produce a static state that will always work for them um, is what comes to mind thinking of that, which has really never been my take. It's like, no, I'm just walking. Right. And I'm going to choose where I go. I'm going to, but I'm not walking down the street to then stop at that house and then live in that house forever. I'm just walking. Um, and sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's hard and sometimes it's snowing. Right. But it's, it's very much like that food concept that you bring up Teresa. And I like that because it is, it's like, there's not, it's not working to an, a permanent end point. And I think that right. all the really cool stuff is like that or a lot of it, you know, well, a lot of people think they're going to get a permanent result for magic. Same like from a tarot reading. That yeah. it's going to be a guarantee of your future. And there's no guarantees. I mean, I always say you can have a perfectly great astrology chart and be a complete schmuck. You can get a great reading and you can decide to make different decisions that change and alter what's coming. And when it comes to magic, you can do all the magic in the world, but nothing's going to be permanent. Nothing's guaranteed. And so, again, it's very much like eating. Mm-hmm. You make something, you make it beautiful, you put all of your intention, your energy into it, then you've got to like destroy it and forget about it and see what happens and keep that kind of an attitude about it. <laughs> right, or you go on the three week nothing but dark chocolate binge and you discover you don't feel great at the end of that. Well, well I, I do. <laughs> right? I have dark chocolate emergency stash. We, <laughs> we have dark cho- chocolate every day and we always feel good. <laughs> yeah. For um, me, it reminds me. Yeah, go ahead, Andrew. No, you're good. Go for it. Okay. Um, reminds me, you know, my, one of my teachers when I was in the Oram Solace, we had this big conversation about uh, students and neophytes and people coming in and, and, you know, how people, why people drop out, why people don't follow through, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I think that some of the reasons are for the, the reasons we talked about here. I think there's a variety of reasons you know, people are, people are in the wrong place. People need something other than the actual longer term arc of it. There you know, many reasons that aren't, that aren't even to do with failure for why people drop out or don't pursue or stick with these things over time. Um, but I think that one of the things that I realized about myself in that conversation um, was that at some point along the way, I had decided that I was I was committed to being ready to give up who I thought I was Mm. in order to discover who I was now. Mm. 
you know, and somewhere, and I don't even know where it started, this sort of notion of an anchored identity or an anchored sort of concrete sense of self or practice or other things. Um, I just, you know, I just decided that that wasn't useful. And so I stopped thinking that way and started uh, noticing those moments where that slip in the gears or that incongruousness emerged, you know, and then later on when I, you know, when my godmother was still alive, I'd have these conversations you know, about something or about a, or my reading for a year or whatever, you know, so remember there are a number of times where she started laughing. She goes, well, it's a good thing you have a flexible ego, Andrew, because blah, 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 whatever. Right. And I'm like, oh yeah, all right, more change, fine, more change, you know, but I think that that stuff is so important and so hard to come by. And even at that, you know, I mean, I don't think that it's always easy, right? Like, you know, I mean, I went through a divorce last year. It, it went well, as, as far as those things go, it went really well. Um, and I've changed my ideas around it, or I've emerged sort of more clearly who I am on the other side of that. Um, but the, all those things take time as well, right? So even at that, there's no magic to suddenly be like, all right, boom, you know, done changed whatever right because really if, if i had that kind of magic i would uh i'd be summoning those goetic spirits and having them uh, finish sorting all the stuff at the house that i'm still trying to sort through <laughs> you know totally what, how did how did solomon make that happen how did he get them all working right that's my problem. I get one of them hey one of them working but all at the same time i haven't got that trick now <laughs> i think for me what and i i what you said makes total sense to me that 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 fixed sense of identity to me, it feels really problematic as a human being, and it feels even more problematic as a magician. You know, I think that it feels like in a lot of ways to me, at this point, magic is just kind of just perpetually riding a wave. Like, like Teresa said, there's no, there's no fixed point. There's no done. There's no finished, static, got it, nailed down. It's, this is what the wave looks like now. And now here's what the wave looks like. And maybe it's fast or slow or big, or it's crashing or whatever the fuck it's doing. But to me, it feels like the most effective thing I can do as a magician is learn how to ride the wave uh, more skillfully and learn how to, to direct it in, you know, whatever ways that we can. And uh, yeah, I think if you expect something fixed and static, whether that's an experience of yourself or an experience of the world, uh, magic will kick you in the fucking teeth with that stuff. And also, if you look at this from a scientific perspective, not that I'm some scientist, I'm not, but... Please Nothing ignore else. the lab coat. <laughs> um, but think about this, you know, everything's changing constantly. We get a new body every seven years. Our cells are constantly changing. So we're not looking the same as we did seven years ago. I mean, I wish I had the same body I had 20 years ago. I don't because every seven years, your cells are completely regenerating. So when you think about that from a magical perspective, there is no way in hell you're going to get like, some kind of a permanent thing because everything is always evolving. And my friend Joe one time said to me, and it really pissed me off when I was younger. He said, you know, the only thing kids that's unchanging is change. And I'm like, what the fuck kind of logic is that? It took a while for that to sink in, but it makes sense. Nothing is going to be an absolute permanent thing. And so when you're doing magic, like you said, Fabeku, it's more about riding with that energy working with the energy you can still enact change but you still have to find a way to move with it 
Right. Yeah, I, I think for me, my, my initial interest in magic felt like it was about uh, control and fixing things. And fixing things, I don't mean as in fixing problems, but creating a static state, right? And that was all based on my anxiety. If I can, yeah. if I can magic the shit out of this, I can get it solid enough the way I need it to be where I'm going to be fine. And then at some point you realize, even if you can pull that off, tomorrow it's a different thing. Next yes. week it's an entirely different thing. And so I think for me, I spent too much time figuring out, okay, what's the magic that I can use to create the static state, which of course is bullshit. And now it's what magic can I use to ride this fucker as effectively and as skillfully as I possibly can and you know, hopefully keep my head above water in the process. <laughs> Yeah, I think totally. I think a lot of us come into magic though around that uh, whole notion of trying to fix things or control things because I know when I got my first introduction to magical things, I was a, a little girl and I would see the ads for the magic power of witchcraft with Ga Gavin and Yvonne Frost in the back of the National Enquirer that my mother used to get and I would pour over those ads and I thought, you know, if I get this book, which I didn't have the money to get the book, but if I only could get this book, we'd no longer be poor and then everything would be magically fixed, which as you guys know, that's a very childlike uh, way of looking at things. We all know that uh, let's say we do the magic and get all the money. It's no guarantee that you're not still going to be a loser, you know? So, but in my childlike mind, I would look at those ads and that was like, this is the answer. I need to do this witchcraft stuff. I need to get this magic, get rich so I can get out of this household and everything will be better. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because then I think, you know, I, I uh, it kind of sinks into all that stuff. Whereas the reality is like, well, when you get out of that household, it'll be different. Yeah. And that will probably be better just because it will be different. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one of the games that, it, that, people can get fucked up by is not realizing like, no, 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 that's you're, you're looking at an end step that might really be step one. Like if your situation isn't working, it may not be that you need to do magic. It may be that you need a different situation, yeah. which is often really hard and really uncomfortable, but you can almost always have one. Yes. For, mm -hmm. You're not incarcerated. You can walk out of your life right now uh, yeah. and do something different. Uh, and everybody goes, well, no, there's all these things. You go, no, those are all, all real things, but none of those is stopping you from walking out your front door yeah. and having a completely different life. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it may be ugly as hell, but you can yeah. do it. Yeah. yeah, and I think that, you know, if you're, if you're caught between those things, right? You know, like between sort of starting a new life and, and not, you know, Magic isn't necessarily the answer either, right? right? Right. Like, because, like, thinking back to sort of, like, this time last year, you know, my, my ex and I decided to, to call it um, in July, right on one of the equinoxes, or one of the eclipses that happened, right? So, um, you know, and, but, like, the first half of that year leading up to this was this sort of, like, clear clear noticing on both sides that stuff wasn't right mm -hmm. and this notion of like well what if we do this what about this what about that you know and trying those things and a lot of that stuff is predominantly in in this case you know and not in everybody's case because there's many different experiences right and, but like a lot of that stuff was psychological right mm -hmm. and 
that kind of clarity, uh, you know, comes from processing it, right? Not from, not from a magical act, be like, all right, give me clarity, you know? Like not even from like, you know, I mean, I could have asked the Orishas. I'm like, hey, should I, should, I, should I get divorced, you know? And they would have given me an answer, you know? But, but even that, if, if we're not clear in ourselves and we're not ready to make a change, the question is not, the question needs to move away from, do I stay or do I go? But how do I get clearer in myself about it? And how do I organize and acknowledge what are my concerns? What are the real world challenges? What are, you know, all that kind of stuff so we can actually get ourselves to a place of clarity. And some of those smaller steps might be susceptible to magic. Like, hey, you know what? Maybe if I, if I had more money, I would make a different decision here. Well, mm-hmm. I can do some magic around that. But that's not the same as making a piece of magic to get to that clarity necessarily or to um, carry us through to this idyllic state on the other side. You know, does that make any sense? Yeah, it, make, it makes total sense to me because when, so I got divorced, I don't know, five years ago, five and a half years ago, whatever it was. And it was a long process for us. It wasn't, nobody just woke up one day and said, oh shit, I'm done. Like it, it years of, of it in some ways. And I, I've thought a lot about like, why did that take so long? Not in a bad way, but kind of in a curious way. And what I realized is that she and I were both, like you said, kind of inching our way toward that clarity because it wasn't clear, be done, stay, whatever. And so we would try this and then that didn't work. So that moved us a little, a little forward in terms of clarity. Okay, well, let's try that. That didn't work. And then you kind of reach the end of those things and then you feel clear and it's shitty. It was for me, it was shitty. It was devastating. It was sad for her as well. But I think that's the thing. There is a process to that clarity. And like you said, how do you magic that? I, I don't, I don't know how to magic that shit. I mean, there was, mm-hmm. you know, we both did work around capacity to be open to let's try this, let's try that. And also at some point I said, I think maybe we should also be open to the fact that this might not work in the way that we want it to. Right. So mm-hmm. not just capacity to fix it, but capacity to say, I think that what we need to do is just move in different directions. You know, and that was that was a process that took a couple fucking years for us. I mean, that was not a fast thing at all. And sometimes magic can support things that we're going through, but you still have to do your work. Yeah, you know, and that's one of the things I think too. A lot of people, you know, when you first come to like magic and stuff, we just think it's going to suddenly make our lives better, but it doesn't always work like that. Years ago, uh, when I lived in New York, there used to be a shop called The Magical Child, and was run by a guy named Herman Slater. And you could go in there and buy these little magical kits. So my roommate and I were both convinced we had bad luck. So I said, let's go get one of these kits. And so we got the kit. We did the magic rituals together. And I got to tell you, the whole energy in the room shifted. I mean, it was weird. It was one of the most intense magical experiences I've ever had. And I looked at my roommate after that. And I said, did you feel that? And he said, yeah, I felt that too. Well, what's really interesting is after that experience, my life did start to change for the better. And a lot of it was me becoming more conscious about how did I get in this, this, how did I get into this situation? How can I get out? Whereas even though my roommate and I did that ritual together, his life continued to spiral in terrible directions. And the thing is you can do all the magic in the world, but if you're still making crappy decisions or not being conscious of the process of getting yourself into a better place, that magic is going to be not very effective. Right. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I've been, I've got a piece that I think will be coming out in the next collection um, 
it has to do with that idea. And it's a, it's a, a talisman that's focused on the idea of effective power. Mm. Like, uh, you know, you can have the stick, <laughs> you can have the rock, um, and you can beat them against the other rock and not much happens. <laughs> mm -hmm. But if you know how to set it up as kind of a fulcrum and a lever, and you do that on the right side so that once that thing breaks free, it doesn't roll down on you or something, you know, uh, then that's what we would like to have happen more often in our lives. It's like, where do we? And so I think magic can absolutely help, but it's, you have to have enough sense of clarity or use it to get enough sense of clarity or use divination to get enough sense of clarity, whatever gets you there to mm -hmm. go, okay, I want this to change. And here is a point that I could apply some pressure where that'll happen. And then I'm going to have to probably do follow up to keep that moving in the direction that I want to. Cause again, nothing's static. It's not like that. You pop that, pop that spell and then everything is done. Um, but it Wouldn't might that be, be nice. It would be mm -hmm. awesome. <laughs> but, uh, it might give you the, that, that initial push that uh, gets over the inertia that allows you to then kind of keep working on a more, you know, an easier level or a less stressful level to get where you want to go. I think one of the things that, that I'm always thinking about and talking about is this idea that magic forces coherence. You know, it's, it sounds fine to sit down and enchant for a partner. And then let's say that partner shows up and you've got all kinds of emotional baggage. You've got unresolved bullshit. You're not as available to being loved as you think you would be. So what the fuck happens, right? This person shows up if they show up and then you get to eat shit sorting out your stuff. You know? uh -huh. So, I mean, the magic works, right? You got the person, you got the money, you got the job, you got whatever the fuck it is. And then I think it also highlights all of the things that you need to shift in order to be coherent. And that, that's usually not a magic. I mean, sometimes it's a magical thing, but sometimes it's just like, oh yeah, I just need to deal with my shit. Like I've got a bunch of stuff, I need to deal with my shit. Or I've got money, but I'm really shitty at managing money. So I need to buy a book on managing money. Like that's the thing. It, it, I, I, I like that idea of that fulcrum thing. It will move things in a certain direction. And then you have to figure out what the fuck to do as it moves in that direction. And if you're unskillful at that, Magic's not going to fix that. It can't fix that. And I think that, and in a lot of ways, this goes back to uh, what Andrew was saying about that fixed sense of identity, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that magic, in order to change things, has to also change who we are. And if that doesn't happen, I think uh, we're either going to not have very effective results with magic, or I don't think we're going to be able to, to sustain stuff over time, you know? And most of, most of that forcing coherent shit fucking sucks. It's not great. You know, it's, it's, it's not a delightful thing. Nobody's like, oh, great. My new person showed up. Now I get to eat shit sorting my stuff. Nobody wants to fucking mm -hmm. do that. It's a mess. It's a total mess. It's kind of like when people win the lottery. Yeah. Um, yeah. They often think that their problems are going to resolve, but the money actually brings out more of what they really are. And if they haven't resolved who they are, they end up either blowing it all or doing really awful things with the money. Yep. You've yep. got to resolve who you are because all the magic or tarot cards or astrology or, you know, whatever, none of it's going to work if you don't resolve who you are. You have to go there and do the work on you. Yeah. I have a, I have a, a guy that I, I knew through a friend who won the lottery. And uh, I've known a couple of people through friends that have had the usual win a couple million dollars and just fucking crash and burn and end up mm -hmm. in a much worse state than they started. And, um, he was like, a, I think he was like 16 years into his military career. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was like the perfect guy to win the lottery because he kind of went like, oh, 
that's nice. And I will now spend the next four years till I get my pension from the military figuring out what to do with this $4 million. He like didn't yeah. really do anything because he knew he was not the guy to figure that out. Uh, but he could become that guy and was disciplined enough that he actually, yeah, his, he's doing fabulously as far as I know, 25 years later uh, because of that. And he was just set. He was not carrying a ton of wreckage and he knew where his problems were and he applied himself intelligently. And I think that yeah. that's the game. Yeah. Yeah. They, the person who run the pizza place near where I lived a long time ago, um, they uh, they won the lottery twice. I don't think like a million dollars, but like hundreds of thousands of dollars several times. And uh, they just kept running their pizza business, right? Like that's, they just kept showing up and making pies and, you know, whatever. Like, I don't know what they did with the money, but like they just never stopped. You know, the place still runs now, you know, and it's like, yeah, life continues, right? <laughs> totally. I, I, think, I think it's actually, you know, I, I look at... I look at different people in my profession and there are some people that I see and based on conversations with them and based on how I see them approaching work, I see them like working to get out of it. You know, they're working to retire. They're working to get enough money or they don't even have a plan to retire maybe. And they're hoping that they'll somehow hit it a certain way and get out of it and whatever. And and I think it's, it's really problematic, right? Yeah. You know, it's like, it's fine if you know that's what you're doing and you handle it really well. Um, but I think that if you, you know, like if a buddy in the military had been like, eh, I can be late for a roll call or whatever because I got a million bucks in the bank, like that's not going to go well, right? You know? And for me, like people, people ask me a number of times, like, well, what, what would happen if you want all this money and whatever? I'm like, you know, I'd still run the shop and I'd still do readings and I'd still whatever. It would change a bunch of things. And it would change how I went about it and maybe how much of it I did. But, um, but it's not going to change anything else because, because I'm in this and I see myself being in this for, you know, indefinitely, you know, as opposed to an end, right? And just with this sort of periodic uh, revisioning of it to suit where I'm at at that point, you know? You know, I'm sure in 10 years I'll have a different approach to being in the store and doing readings than I have now. In 20 years I'll have a different approach again. But like the notion that I'm not going to be somehow doing what I'm doing in that amount of time just doesn't exist, you know? And I think that it's very, it's very interesting, like the way in which people think about their future or think about, you know, like now, now sort of, you know, not being, well, I was always polyamorous anyway, but like looking at, dating and stuff and it's 100 percent fine that people are on okcupid or tinder or whatever to meet their person and get off of there but it's such a such a um, complicated energy to bring to something to be there only so you could not be there anymore you know totally i always I think, think when i work that oops i always think i get to work today i never mm -hmm. look at oh god i gotta work it's always yay i get to work today so um, I come from a long line of people who love to work and everyone in our family has a good work ethic and we love what we do. So I can't imagine full retirement. Sorry, Aiden, I didn't mean to. Oh, in. no, I was basically going the same place. You know, I did uh, 30 years of retail, which I didn't love. And so now that I'm able to do uh, something that I do love, I have no intention of, of quitting. And yeah, it's like what Andrew said, if you give me a couple million dollars, 
I will probably get a warehouse nearby and have somebody build me a half pipe because I'll be able to afford the insurance and going to Panama for the stem cell treatments to repair my injuries instead of just being fucked up. Um, and, and, uh, I will skate a lot more, you know, uh, but yeah, I, I don't see it changing the whole thing. You know, it's not a, it wouldn't be a ticket out. It would be like, okay, now I can really just kind of chill and go crazy on what is the, the best form of this thing that I do if I'm not as reliant on it being uh, somewhat reasonable for people to be able to play with me, you know? So For sure. Well, and, you know, and obviously we're not talking about, you know, like I worked at 7-Eleven in high school. If I was still working at 7-Eleven, you were trying to get out of there, you know, like, I mean, totally. like, you know, we're, we're all definitely in different positions than that. Right. You know, right. and like you said, you worked retail for a long time and, and that wasn't your jam, you know, and that that's completely fair too. Right. So like, you know, I don't want anybody feeling bad because they're like, Oh, well, I have this job that sucks and whatever. It's like some jobs suck, you know I mean? Yeah. You know, some jobs, you know, and whatever, but and that's where, you know, maybe working some magic to start making some change and, and see what else you can do to kind of move in different directions. Right. Like none, none of us got where we were, where we are and not that i'm hanging this up as role models either in that sense but like all of us got where we are over a long period of time right yeah and lots of changes and lots of acts of magic and acts of uh dedication and practice and discipline and whatever different things luck maybe even right um you know like there are lots of ways in which we got where we are um so yeah and you know i think i think a lot of that going back to the identity thing i for me, the reason I keep going back to it is because it seems like such a critical piece because if you have a fixed sense of identity and you're in a job you hate or you're in a relationship you hate or whatever it is and you keep telling yourself, this is who I am, this is what my life looks like, this is what I can do, this is kind of it, how the fuck do you ever change that, right? So I think that if you instead kind of look past, and this is not the easiest thing to do, but if you, if you can stretch past that and look at the things like, what am I telling myself I can never do that's impossible, the shit I could never have? Why am I telling myself that? Where the fuck did that come from? Is that actually yeah. true? If it's not true, what, what could I do now that's different to get a different job, a different person, a different amount of money, and, and start looking at those things? But I think it, it, that, for me, the identity piece and the possibility piece are so intimately connected, I don't think you can separate them. And you know, if somebody that, that's, because I think about my dad, like he, he wanted to be an artist. He wasn't an artist. He spent his entire job in some high level government corporate bullshit thing that he fucking hated. He was miserable. Mm -hmm. But that's who he told himself he was, that, that that was his thing. He couldn't be an artist. He couldn't have a life he loved. He had to go to this, and he died that way. It was fucking terrible. You know, and almost all of that came back to this identity stuff. And I, I wonder, you know, if he had, if, if one day he had said to himself, hmm, is this really true? The bullshit I'm telling myself? It, it's probably not. Like, I wonder how things would have been different for him. So yeah. I, mean, I think, you know, I think those are just important things for people to think about when they find themselves with shit they don't dig. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was, uh, you know, I live, I live on the edge of a really fancy neighborhood in Toronto. And uh, there's, there's this design store that sells, you know, fancy designer stuff. They do interior design for all these like, multi-million dollar homes and stuff like that. And uh, they, I, I was looking for, I'd been looking for a chair for, for my bedroom. So I have a spot where I can go and read and be away from like, if my kids want to watch TV and have their friends over, I can be like, that's cool. I'm going to go to my room. You have the main space 
and I'm going to be comfortable and relaxed and not feel like I'm like forced to like sit on my bed, like a, you know, whatever. Right. Um, cause I don't want that resentment. Right. And, uh, and I was walking by this place and they had this beautiful armchair in the window and it had this amazing, um, bird print fabric, like just these huge finches printed on it. And, you know, being a really fancy store, the fabric was cut perfectly. And the, the, the relationship of the birds, to the shape of the chair was amazing. And I was just like, Oh my God, it's such a beautiful chair. And then I went and looked at it and it was like two and a half thousand dollars or something like that. And I was like, huh. And I walked away. I'm like, man, such a nice chair. I could never have a chair like that. And then I caught myself because I had to walk past it over a while. I was like, man, well, like I can't afford it today, obviously. Like that's not a thing. But I'm like, what would it, what would it be? What would, I, what would it be to be a person who could afford that chair? Mm-hmm. What would it be? What would I need to do to be able to afford that kind of chair, you know, and like, not just like crack a credit card or whatever. Right. And then, and then I kind of noticed that momentum of it opening up possibilities. Right. And then I was like, wow, what would it take for me to be the kind of person who just had enough cash around that I could just buy that chair when I saw it and like, just be like, Oh, I have that money. I could just drop that right now. I, I want that chair enough to spend this money. On it. And and it, it took me back into like some basic business stuff, which I hadn't done in a while, which was like, all right, how many readings am I doing in a week? How much sales are the shop doing? How much, whatever, what are the goals that I might want to set, you know, and, and so on. And, you know, and working a bit of magic in that direction. And, you know, so there's this sort of like multi-layer stuff and that, that identity shift and, and the possibilities, as you say, it's not necessarily massive, right? Like it's not like all of a sudden I need to go, Oh, you know what? I've, I've decided I need to be a hedge fund manager. And, and that's like (laughs) this massive switch. It's more like, what are the limits that I've placed on myself Mm -hmm. or inherited or ancestral or cultural or, you know, whatever. And, you know, why, why do I, why do I not give myself the space to think that I'm a person who would have that kind of money in the bank? And then how do I get there? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that it's a, it's, it's a, that's a, it's the hugest game for me in the last 10 years probably has been that, that some things happened that did uh, shift me from a really open mindset to a a much more closed mindset. Um, There were a few events that just ate me up in the mid 2000s and it took a long time to get out of there and it's still that process of exactly what you said is all go like, God, I would really like to have my own skate ramp. Right. Yeah. And uh, I can either go, well, that's impossible. Right. But I, or I can go, I got two and a half acres. I really could do that. Yeah. You know? uh, it's, it's viable. It's not an impossibility. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that I have to become super rich guy with his own skate park either. Right. It's like, there's, there's all of these layers, but I do have to then begin to address that. Like, what would I, and the thing that I think Fabiku and I've been talking a lot about lately is kind of tapping into the feelings behind those things more than the intellect behind them is often the hardest part. Like what would it feel like, as you said, Andrew, to be that person that, has three grand in his pocket and could 
walk by that store and go, dude, send that chair yeah. to my house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. I'll take deliver uh, immediately. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, what, what would it feel like? What would then you have to kind of, how different would you have to be in? In what ways? How would you have to see yourself differently to allow that as a possibility even is often the first step, right? I think mm-hmm. we can also jump steps and not deal with our shit around these things. Uh, going like, no, okay, so for most of my life, money was a struggle. Um, and part of the reason that it isn't now is simply because I've like learned to downsize, right? Uh, I live in a very small space. I don't spend a lot of money. So things can work for me doing what I want to do. But if I wanted to shift that, what are those changes? And I have to kind of go back and go, well, where did I get used to the idea that I was, it was always going to be a struggle? Mm-hmm. Uh, what messaging did I get about that? And is that in any way legit or was that just my opinion in a moment or someone else's opinion in a moment? Um, Mm -hmm. And can we change that? And I think that that's that identity key is you can't do that and stay quite the same person as you are. Uh, For those possibilities to be different, you have to really be different enough to see those possibilities as different. And that's, I think, a freaky concept because I think that we're sold kind of the bill of goods that it's like the, we see it all the time that you know, people saying people don't change, right? And, and yet there's tons of evidence that some people do quite a lot. Mm. And can you begin to see yourself as one of those people? What's that process look like? Uh, and was- what does that allow? That was the starting point of this podcast, actually. Mm. Uh, six years ago, or whenever I started it, the first six episodes uh, started out with the, the, with the question that I took to different tarot readers. Um, why do some people change and others don't, right? Mm. And so mm-hmm. if, you, if you, I haven't re-listened to those episodes in a while, but I think there's still a lot there from what I remember that are you know, worth checking out if you're listening to this. You know, go back to episode one. They're all, they're all up there still. You can go listen to them. And, you know, people like Lon Duquette and Mary Greer and a bunch of Rachel Pollack and, you know, from people having these conversations about, you know, why, why, why do some people change and why do some people not, you know? And I mean, obviously I think there's no clear answer. I'm sure Teresa could look at her chart and be like, Oh, that, you're never going to change. You're done. Good luck. The wheel next time. <laughs> I believe everybody has the potential to make a change. Yeah, and I absolutely. believe everybody can succeed. It does not matter you know, I mean, of course, let me, let me just say one thing. There are some situations that are very, very hard to overcome. Yes. There are people who have situations that all the magic in the world and all the affirmations in the world are not going to change it. Yeah. So yes, there is that. But for a lot of us, we can change. We can evolve. We don't have to take the hand we've been dealt and say, this is good enough. This is who I am. Uh, this is how I've been defined. You yeah. can change. You know, if I listen to all the messages that I grew up with, and believed any of that crap, my life would look markedly different. Mark, Mm -hmm. it would be completely different. You know, I was always told, oh, you know, you're funny looking, you're not going to get married, you know, guys don't like chicks like you, you know, you got to work really hard. And, you know, and I remember hearing all those horrible things that my parents would say, and I was like, I don't believe that. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that. And I knew there were changes I needed to make around that mindset stuff and around my life. And my life turned out very different than how my, than what I was told and what uh, the predictions my family made for me, because I, uh, and also 
you know, the way they grew up. And I look at my parents and I look at my siblings, my life is very, very different from all of them because mm -hmm. I wanted a different life. I did not want that. I wanted to change and not follow the same patterns. And that requires also for changing. This is what I think about changing. We all have the ability to change, but you have to be conscious enough to really recognize that you need a change and conscious enough to be aware of what that change would look like and conscious enough to then take the steps to make that change. You have to be conscious. A lot of people sleepwalk through life. They just think this is my lot in life. I'm meant to be this or that. If you are really truly awake at the wheel, you can look around and say, you know what? I don't need all these books. I can Marie Kondo the hell out of this and be done with it and have a minimalist life. I can make that change. I'm not going to make that change, guys. But, you know, I can. Mm -hmm. I can be conscious enough to really look around and recognize, why do I have all this crap? What can I do to change it? You've got to start with being really super conscious. And from there, I think you can make a change. If you're asleep at the wheel, it's going to be much harder to do that. Mm -hmm. And, and, and again, you know, I just want to reiterate, too, and I think everybody would agree. Um, you know, there, there are situations that are way harder, you know, yes. and there are circumstances around uh, poverty, gender, race, yep. violence, abuse. Like there, there are lots of situations health. where health. Yeah, exactly. Where the, the required effort for that change is much higher, you know, Absolutely. and none of that is to say don't work on it because like, like for sure. Um, but you know, it's not, you know, not everybody's on the same playing field. And I think that that's, it's the only danger that I find in these conversations. I think that they're, I think that what we're talking about is absolutely true. And I think that there are a lot of people who put out this kind of message that don't acknowledge that. And so I just want to make sure that it's acknowledged. Yes. And, you know, I remember, I remember somebody talking about something I was listening to, you know, and they were talking about this change they could make and whatever. And, you know, and they're like, well, yeah, all you need to do is like, uh, you know, take a, take $200 and do this with it. And I was like, are you kidding me? I don't have any money in the bank. Like I don't, you know, I don't have whatever. Cause at that time I was very, very close to the line, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the, the, those possibilities, those kinds of possibilities change with who you are and, and what your circumstances, but they definitely don't need to define you in, in, in a way that prevents change from happening. Just that, have, that change looks different depending on where you're at. And we have to be very conscious when we're talking about magical and spiritual practices and all of this, of really acknowledging, and this is where the law of attraction people really piss me off, <laughs> yes. is, uh, don't get me started on that conversation, <laughs> you know, because we'll go on a completely different tangent. But, you know, as somebody who grew up poor, I know how hard it was to get out of that. There was no magic no. that was going to change everything overnight. Uh, and I know people that have situations that it isn't quite that simple. You know, if you are somebody who is disabled, for example, and you have a very limited income because you're on SSI, you know, there's no amount of magic in the world that's going to make it automatically that you're going to be like able to be a millionaire. You can't just change your thinking and it's going to happen like that. Your circumstances are going to require very, very different thing. And I really think that it comes from a place of privilege for people to just go with this law of attraction or yeah, just do this magic. Yes, changing your mindset helps. Yes, doing magic helps. But there are still some situations that you can't quite explain away that easily and you can't change that easily. So we do mm -hmm. have to acknowledge that because otherwise, you know, we're putting out a message for people and some people are going to feel very um, excluded 
or maybe they're doing the magic and they're like, well, you know, I'm doing all this, but nothing's working. There must be something wrong with me. And sometimes it's like, no, your circumstances are really fucked up. Mm-hmm. It's going to take longer. And that's okay right. too. And yeah. I think that, and I totally agree with all that. And I think that it comes down to that. If I have a kind of messaging about this stuff is like, just make sure that you're not stuck in a belief that, of what is reasonable for you for whatever mm-hmm. reason, yeah. that's not real. Yes. I'm never, I'm never one for trying to move into kind of fantasy land, which I do see a lot with some of the law of attraction stuff. And it's not to say that that's entirely garbage. There's aspects of that that are right. Um, there's aspects of that are that are right, but we have to be really, really careful with that law of attraction. Exactly. Because not just of the privilege thing and the circumstances, but also a lot of us are wishing for the same damn thing. Exactly. I mean, look, I would love to have Jason Momoa sit. I'd love to be sitting on his lap. Now I can do all the magic in the world, but it would take a lot to make that really happen. I would have to, first of all, change the way I look. He's with Lisa Bonet. I would have to get a divorce. I'd have to figure out how to go to LA. Maybe I could make it happen, but it's going to take a lot. I have to be realistic. Jason Momoa, absolutely, probably not going to happen. There, That's a, a humorous great, example, but yeah. there's a great quote that I I think I shared on I shared on a podcast. I don't know if it was this one that's related to him that I love. That there was a somebody had written Mark Twight who trains Jason for the superhero movies. Yeah, and uh, uh, his uh, you know one of the guys that works with for him starts laughing at the next desk, and, and Mark goes, "Okay, it's the you know this means it's the email of the week. What did we get?" He said, "I want to look like Jason Momoa. How do I do this?" And, and uh, they, they sent back a note that said, first, are you a hot Polynesian guy?" <laughs> right? It's like there's shit you can't work around. <laughs> um, and this means that maybe your targets have to be different. And this is always yeah. what I think about yeah. this stuff is, yeah, you can't change reality to suit you, but you can change how you interface with reality usually in ways that work better. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that we get to choose targets. Like I have no reason to think that I could, I mean, there's a gazillion things I would love to have happen that I don't believe are pragmatic. Um, it's not that they're entirely impossible, but they're nothing that I would work for because they seem so non-pragmatic, but there's a ton of little shit that I can do that improves my quality of life. And I think that that's true for most people. Where the law of attraction folks go is to go, you can have anything you want. No, sorry. No, I, that ain't reality. I think that for me, you know, you hear people say, well, you know, everybody has 24 hours in the day. That's true, but not everybody has the same fucking resources. Right. Whether that's the financial resources, the physical resources, the emotional support, the, the, the societal support, whatever the fuck it is. So yeah, everybody has 24 hours in a fucking day, but you, you have different levels of resources available to you. And again, I think the key is what we're talking about is first of all, absolutely acknowledge that. Cause if not, I think we're landed in bullshit waters. And at the same time to also realize that even if you have those limited resources, not to build that into your sense of identity, in a way that lets you think, well, this is it. There's nothing I can mm-hmm. do, right? right? So, you know, I've had health stuff going on. There's all kinds of physical stuff happening. Like if, if Aiden and I wanted to, to run right now, we have different physical resources available to us in the moment. The problem I would make if I said, well, I can't do anything. I can never do what Aiden can do right now, so I'm fucked, so forget it, who cares? That's not true. I can't do what he can do right now, but I can still do something to advance things forward from where, where I am now. And I think that that's, that's the piece. It is that, uh, yeah, no, that idea that you can just have every, listen, cause I can sit and do law of attraction all day. 
on getting up and running a motherfucking marathon. That's not going to happen right now. That's not going to happen. <laughs> that, there is no magic that's going to make that a doable thing. But if I, we're going to get Jason Momoa to piggyback <laughs> you the whole way. That's the deal. <laughs> That Don't might work. <laughs> yeah. I think that's really important though, right? Because like I've been one of my one of my things this year that I've been really going back and looking at everything that I'm doing is so I have a store, which is awesome, and I love having a store. And I have kids and I love my kids. All right. And and I have my kids half the time now. And those two pieces place a lot of constraints on what makes sense for me to do around business now. Because exactly. when I look at other people who are doing stuff, and there's lots of other people who are doing great stuff, and you know, I was realizing over the last year, I've been looking at what they've been doing, and I've been trying stuff out, and the people that I'm looking at what they're doing and wishing that I could do some of what they're doing, um, they don't have either of those constraints. Yes, And that... You know, and that's not even like that's not even those things aren't even a burden on me in in a negative sense, right? But but with those constraints in place, doing doing things like uh, going around and having a, being at a bunch of shows and spiritual shows in the city doesn't make a ton of sense, you know. Um, being away, you know, like leaving town and stuff like that, you know, that requires a lot of extra shift for me, you know. And I need to weigh all those things out. So really looking at, you know, it's like if, uh, you know, Aiden decides to suddenly start swordsmithing in his little shop that he's got there, you know, it doesn't necessarily make sense. It's not big enough. It's not set up for that. It might burn the whole place now, you know, whatever. Right. But like <laughs> totally. there, there are those, those limits. And if you want to change those things, maybe you can possibly, you know, maybe you should, or you or me or whomever, but they require moving a bunch of stuff. But it also requires seeing and acknowledging those limits and saying, okay, what am I going to do within that limit? What about that limit do I want to change? Can I change on what time frames? You know, so many things like that, right? Yeah. I think that's a great example because, you know, when, when friends or clients or whatever have asked me how I've done certain things in my life and my business, part of it, sure, there's been identity stuff. There's been magic stuff. Part of it is I worked my ass up. All of that's true. And I also don't have kids. Right. So I have I have an amount of time and energy and resources available to me that people that are tending for tending to young humans that require their attention to stay alive. I don't have that. And that's that. And, you know, whether that's good or bad, I, whatever. But the, I have again, I have a different sort of resource available in terms of time and energy and money that I wouldn't have if I have kids. I've got one asshole cat to manage. That's it. You know, if I basement had, full of blinds, right. <laughs> if, you know, if I had a kid or a bunch of that, it changes the game. And so that's the thing, the idea that if you just buckle down and work hard, listen, I, I get it. And it's different when you've got kids or when you've got a health thing or whatever the fuck it yep. is. It's an entirely different thing that people have to think about this idea that, you know, that, that everybody's sense, everybody's possibility is equal. If you just do X, I think that that's an incredibly ignorant perspective to take on things it's fucking not true at all it's just well and that and that is that thing you brought up the 24-hour thing is really true it's like you have 24 hours and you make all your money in 20 hours a week right you got 24 hours and you got six kids right you got 24 hours 24 hours and you're working like 100 hours a week at three jobs exactly everybody's 24 hours are not the fucking same exactly you're in an abusive relationship who controls your money yes right 
And also some of those it's people that they talk about who have 24 hours also have the resources to hire assistants to do exactly. a lot of crap for them. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think we've reached the end of our time for today. So let us summarize to say, hey, go see what you're up to and change what makes sense to change. <laughs> Summed it yes, up. One minute. That. Done. Mic drop. I'm out of here. Um, let's, let's go around. For people who, who aren't already uh, following us in our orbits, Fabeku, where can people find you? Uh, Fabeku.com and Facebook. Perfect. Teresa? They can find me at thetarolady.com and on social media. The one I spend the most time on is Twitter. My handle's mm -hmm. the Tarot Lady. And uh, Teresa has a lovely new website. You should definitely go take a peek at that. Thank you, Andrew. AidenWalker.com uh, and uh, I'm generally all over, face all over Facebook and social media as Aiden Walker. Perfect. And uh, I'm at TheHermitsLamp.com and uh, either as myself or The Hermit's Lamp on all the medias. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for uh, having this conversation today. It's been a delight. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to post in the show notes links back to our previous episodes, including episodes with Teresa, everybody by themselves, and uh, so many Stacking Skulls episodes that I've lost track. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, everybody. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you for spreading the word. Thank you for supporting the Patreon. Thanks for being a reason why this happens. That's it. All you get is my gratitude at the end here. I'll be back soon with a whole bunch of new episodes. Starting in February, we should be back on a bi-weekly schedule.